0: This is The Plural of You, the podcast about people helping people. I'm Josh Morgan. I'm a sociologist and a writer, and I use this podcast to share stories from people who are making a difference in the lives of others, people like you and me. Dr. Elizabeth Strand is a professor and veterinary social worker from Knoxville, Tennessee, she directs one of the only programs in the world devoted to veterinary social work. This is an academic field covering topics at the intersection of veterinary medicine and social work, and includes how our relationships with our pets affect us. Overall, Dr. Strand's focus is on strengthening mental health among veterinary students and social work students at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. I talked with Dr. Strand recently about her work and about this surprisingly deep field, and I'll play our conversation in a moment. I'm not sure if you've heard, But there's currently a mental health crisis among veterinarians in the United States. I wasn't aware of it either until I came across a few articles about suicides in the field. Now, data on suicides is notoriously tough to collect, but there have been enough cases lately to suggest that mental illness is a growing concern among veterinarians. A recent survey of veterinarians in the U.S. found that nearly 1 in 10 have likely experienced serious psychological distress since graduating from college. About a quarter of male veterinarians and over a third of female veterinarians reported in the survey that they have experienced depression since graduation. It appears that more than one in six have contemplated suicide. I should note here that, according to the American Veterinary Medical Association, these rates are above the national averages for Americans and may be high compared with other medical professions, which are generally considered high stress to begin with. Emotional awareness is something we could all benefit from. And it's part of what Dr. Strand is teaching veterinarians and social workers. Professors are busy people, so I'm grateful that Dr. Strand made time to talk with me on a quiet Sunday afternoon. She has an interesting story, and I'm glad to know that she's doing so much to help those who help us care for our pets. Here's Dr. Elizabeth Strand, Director of the Veterinary Social Work Program at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. Hi, Dr. Strand. How are you?
1: I'm well. And you today?
0: Doing very well. How's your day been so far?
1: The day has been pretty good. Nice. Nice Sunday is my favorite day.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know you have like a hundred other things you could be doing. So thank you.
1: Sure. Thanks for inviting me to come and talk. I, I looked at your project and it seems very worthwhile. So I'm grateful to be asked.
0: Oh, good. Thank you. If you wouldn't mind, could you just tell me a little bit about your project? Like what types of services do you provide?
1: So with veterinary social work, the the short answer is we just take care of all the human things that arise in the veterinary setting. So if it's a human problem, even though it might be related to an animal, we're there to uh, respond to it in whatever way we need to. So sometimes we get calls on our helpline, you know, we have a possum in the attic and We don't take care of possums in the attic, but we can get people to the right place. We also, in a more concrete way, deal with some very specific problems that arise for people related to their animals. The first is grief and bereavement. Because animals' lifespans are shorter than ours, most of us have to face the death of our companion animals. Mm -hmm. So we address that. And then we also provide counseling for people who have been perpetrators of animal abuse such as animal hoarding or in domestic violence situations. And then we engage in animal-assisted therapies. And lastly, we, and this this part really is mostly just human species related. We provide help for animal-related professionals with their compassion fatigue and also with their communication skills.
0: Do you find that you offer one service more than the others?
1: I would say that our pet loss program, our grief and bereavement program, is very robust. I think that probably most of our scheduled appointments focus on that. And then I would say second would be the compassion fatigue uh, work. And then I would say the animal abuse work.
0: Okay. So I wasn't aware that veterinary social work was a field that existed prior to me discovering you and your department. So I'm just curious, how widespread is the field? Like, are you aware of how many people are working in the field?
1: There's not any really good numbers on it. What I would say is that having a mental health professional in the veterinary setting has been around since the early 70s, actually. And really, it was the University of Tennessee, we coined the term. We just said, okay, this is a thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. People have been doing it. We don't have to pretend as mental health professionals that, you know, we're not doing it because it was happening. So how many are doing it now, I would say most veterinary colleges have some type of a mental health professional within their college or they have a very close relationship with the campus counseling center to provide care for veterinary students. Some of those veterinary colleges have pet loss programs, but I'd say that there's probably three or four programs within veterinary colleges.
0: Would that, would that be in the United States?
1: Yeah. No, and there's one in Canada that's just oh, okay. started up. Yeah.
0: Okay. How did you find out about veterinary social work?
1: Well, I started my Ph.D. and decided that I would study the link between human and animal violence. And during my research and through my contacts with professors in the College of Veterinary Medicine, it just became clear that there was a need for veterinary social work. And so in the middle of the night, I just sat up in bed and I said, oh, it's called veterinary social work. And this is what it is. <laughs> and then I got in contact with some of the mental health professionals that had been doing similar work since the 70s. And so that's how it all began.
0: Did you practice more traditional social work before? Yes. Or have you always specialized?
1: Yeah. No, I um. I would say my first love really actually is family therapy. <laughs> When I got out uh, with my master's in social work, I went straight into a residential treatment facility for kids and was the family therapist. And I really apply a lot of what I learned about family systems and family therapy in what I do in my current job.
0: Okay. So what's a typical week like for you?
1: In the old days, the typical week would be that I would go down on the clinic floor and I would walk around in the clinics and see what cases were coming up, support the veterinary teams. Sometimes I would have to be present for euthanasia. Sometimes I would get a call about uh, an abused animal and how should we respond to this, working with a veterinarian maybe who's feeling stressed because they've had eight or nine euthanasias in a week, and then I would teach on the side. Our program has grown, so we have a clinical social worker now who uh, takes care of the majority of our pet loss support. And so my typical day really is coming in and doing some research about the current findings regarding compassion fatigue and suicide among veterinary medicine, teaching veterinary students as well as social work students, having a a few counseling sessions here and there with veterinarians or students that want some extra support, running mindfulness classes to teach people to deal with their stress, exercising with the veterinary students, anything to build health, running surveys, completing surveys, doing data analysis, that sort of thing.
0: Okay. That kind of brings me to my next question. I discovered you and your work because I was reading about the topic of suicide among veterinarians, Mm -hmm. which really surprised me. I wasn't aware, you know, that was an issue. Mm -hmm. And I know that you offer help with, you know, things like compassion fatigue, like you said. What exactly do you do to help?
1: Well, I think the first thing that I do to help is that when I receive a call from somebody saying I have a friend who is a veterinarian that took their life, Or I find myself giving a talk about it. We always take a moment of silence to recognize the feelings that veterinarians have about the loss of their colleagues. Veterinarians are very hardworking people, and sometimes they don't necessarily stop because there's always an animal in need. (laughs) So they don't necessarily stop and kind of recognize, oh, I'm feeling sad about this, or wow, I miss that person. So the first thing I would say is just to create space about recognizing that a loss has occurred. I provide talks on helping veterinarians learn about um, suicide prevention, teaching them that they can ask the question to each other, do you think, are you feeling like killing yourself? And that's not going to cause somebody to kill themselves. So reducing the stigma of talking about mental illness, I think, is a big uh, thrust of what we do to help with this problem. And uh, we're also conducting some research to try to find out more about what might be the reasons for this increased risk of suicide.
0: Yeah. I was about to ask, could you talk about why that risk, would you say it's more pronounced among veterinarians than maybe other medical fields?
1: So one study from the United Kingdom found that veterinarians were four times as likely to experience suicidal ideation than the general population and twice as likely as other medical professions. I think all medical professions are a little bit elevated. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's really the, the main finding that we have that compares veterinarians' uh, rate of suicide to the general population. So there's, there, that one study does seem to indicate that there's a, there's a higher rate. And the reason why has been hypothesized a lot. And there's been a few studies that have come out recently. And, and I think the findings of this one seem to be the most congruent with my clinical experience, which is that veterinarians, are uh, they take an oath to prevent animal suffering. And so when it comes time for euthanasia, you know, many veterinarians feel relieved that they can end the suffering of an animal. And, and so that itself is not necessarily what contributes to suicide, although that had been hypothesized. Mm-hmm. But what does seem to be associated with it is there's an enormous amount of counseling. I don't know if you've ever gone through this yourself, but as clients, as those of us that have pets, there's a lot of emotional counseling that veterinarians have to do about when is the right time. And that is a set of skills that in the older days, veterinarians did not get any training in. Nowadays, we give them quite a bit of training in how to handle that well, but not in the older days, uh, some time ago. And so it might be that that counseling role that they haven't been educated on how to do properly in the end provides uh, more uh, difficulty with feelings of depression.
0: Okay. And it also sounds like you work with members of the local community. Yes. How do you help those people?
1: Well, anybody in the country really can call our helpline. Oh, okay. And receive four free pet loss sessions. And that also goes for animal-related professionals. So if there's an animal-related professional that um, is facing issues of compassion fatigue, they can give us a call. Now, we're not a hotline, so you can't call us. You know, if you call us at nine o'clock at night, you'll get a voicemail. and
0: Oh, I see. Yeah,
1: so you have to call and schedule an appointment and keep your appointments. And so it's a, a service that you make appointments to take advantage of. And so uh, many times our alumni call to refer their clients or they themselves call because they're facing compassion fatigue or sometimes we get calls from animal control officers in different parts of the country because their job is really hard, too. And so we provide that care for them. And help them get connected to resources that can be of support to them in their communities.
0: Was this a service that you were instrumental in setting up?
1: Yes. Yeah. We've always had a phone service. We've done most of our work via the telephone. Our phone counseling program has become more structured and more streamlined. And so we've always had that model, but it's much more robust
0: now. Okay. So I suppose the primary purpose of your program is to support the College of Veterinary Medicine at UT. Mm -hmm. What do you offer to help them, too?
1: For the people in our college, all veterinary students get five free counseling sessions per year Mm -hmm. at times that are convenient for them that are confidential. And then we provide care for all the human beings that come into the clinic with their animals if they need our support. And then we provide uh, compassion fatigue support and consultation for all the faculty and staff should they have a question or need a referral or just need to chat for a little bit.
0: Okay. Do you offer courses? Did I hear you say you offer courses? Yeah. I I know you said counseling sessions.
1: Yeah. So that's kind of the clinical services. We've got a clinical service. Then we have classes that we teach. So I teach in the curriculum for our veterinary students. We teach all communication skills training for our veterinary students. And then we also teach a course called Grief Recovery, which is an eight-week course to teach people how to navigate the grieving process. And then um, I teach a class called Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, which we've been doing since 2004, which uh, teaches the skill of being in the present moment for your well-being and health. And then we teach in the College of Social Work, too, because our program is a a joint program between two colleges. All the coursework we teach in the College of Social Work is to train social workers to do veterinary social work.
0: Okay. Yeah. You just said something that I thought was interesting, being present in the moment, being related to health. Mm -hmm. Could you expand on that?
1: Yeah. Well, the research is very clear that when we are able to train ourselves to be present in this moment, that it has positive effects on our brain and also in our biochemistry, that in turn affects our sense of well-being. And over the past 15 years, the amount of research that has been done is mounting to support that being present is something that we have to learn to do because we Mm -hmm. are not naturally that way. Or at least when we start growing up, our species is not naturally that way. Babies are that way.
0: (laughs) I see. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: And animals are that way, which is, I think, one of the reasons why we love them so much. So we just train ourselves through paying attention to our current present moment environment through our senses. Particularly paying attention to the body as a focus of our present moment attention seems to help with negative, anxiety-provoking thinking that is focused in the past or the f- or the future. And all of that negative, anxiety-provoking thinking in the past and the future is what turns on our stress response, turns on the stress hormones like cortisol that cause a great deal of inflammation and problems in the body and make us anxious and miserable and unhealthy.
0: Is this something that you maybe discovered like in your own life and incorporated into the program? Or is this something that other researchers in the field have found?
1: Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, it does make sense. You know, I was the youngest of four kids and my brother became a Buddhist monk when I was 17. I mean, he was 17 and I was five. And so he taught me to meditate when I was very young. Oh, So I grew up with that as an acceptable way of dealing with myself and with life. Mm -hmm. But when I got to my job at the veterinary college, I wanted to learn how to bring that skill to the veterinary students. And so I started training in mindfulness-based stress reduction, which is really that eight-week protocol that I think most people would safely say is responsible for the beginning and the flourishing of research regarding mindfulness in this country. And also in line with that is wanting to bring a way for us as a species to cultivate what we love about animals as a species or as a, I guess that's not a species, that's a um, kingdom maybe. I think it's kingdom. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. Of not not thinking too much, you know, just being in the present moment mostly. And so we can do it too as a species, but we have to learn how to do it. And so I get to be around all these veterinarians, and I want to teach them and myself how we can be the best part of what we love about the animals that we're around.
0: It's so interesting. So now I'm wondering how much of what you do overlaps with veterinary medicine.
1: Well, we work side by side with veterinarians on the clinic floor. We are part of an interdisciplinary team. So veterinarians are walking down the hall with dogs and saying, this is the cutest dog. And we're saying, oh my gosh, this is the cutest dog. And we're petting and, or this dog is so sick and I'm so sad. And we, oh, we're so sad too. So we really are right there, right alongside of them with all of the human emotions that uh, occur. The difference is, is the veterinarian's main target is the animal and our main target is the people. And it could be the client who of uh, the owner of that animal or the guardian of that animal, however you want to talk about it, the pet parent. I see. Yeah. Or the other people in that room or in that system is the team, the veterinary nurse, the veterinarian, the animal care assistant, the front desk staff. So it's just that our, our clients, our patients are the people and the veterinarian's patients are the animals.
0: Gotcha. Makes perfect sense. So what types of research do you and your team engage in?
1: So the research that I'm engaging in right now is mostly focused on uh, veterinary wellness. So looking at the prevalence of issues of depression, anxiety, and stress among veterinary students, as well as the prevalence of the resilience skills like grit and feeling happy. We're also looking at the early childhood experiences of veterinarians to see if something called ACEs, adverse childhood events, can be associated with poor mental health outcomes for veterinarians.
0: So like traumatic events.
1: Exactly. So there's quite a bit of research that's being done regarding ACEs for the general population. And we definitely know that the more ACEs a person has, the shorter their lifespan is and the more ill health they have. And so we're just now looking at that for veterinary students.
0: So what I'm hearing is ACEs among children, like related to loss of pets and that sort of thing. Is that what you're doing research on at the moment?
1: Yeah. Losses, family disruption, parents with depression, substance abuse issues, things that happen in in childhood that are hard for kids.
0: Okay. I see. Mm -hmm. Now, I know your department offers graduate certificates. Yes. What have some of your students gone on to do with these certificates?
1: One student went and took the job of an executive director for an animal-assisted therapy program that served the seriously and persistently mentally ill. But most of our students that complete the certificate take regular social work jobs. It's just that they have more knowledge about the other family members that are in the home of their clients. Most social work agencies don't pay attention or even ask questions about if there's pets in the home. And so Hmm. social workers that are trained in veterinary social work go into these organizations and start to raise awareness as well as include animals as uh, members of the family and as a part of their application of what they learned in the Veterinary Social Work Certificate Program. And that being said, you know, you found out about my program because of an increased awareness regarding suicide among veterinarians. And so I think that the veterinary profession is starting to look at collaborating with mental health to address the human needs that arise in veterinary settings. So I anticipate that there's going to be more positions for mental health professionals that are particularly trained in being useful to veterinarians. And that's what we do.
0: Okay. I don't know if you'd say you specifically advocate for animals being recognized as family members, but I was going to ask if you had any successes where you've made the case that animals should be treated or thought of more highly than maybe they are in our our culture. Yeah,
1: that's a really, really important question. It's a huge question. The role of the veterinary social worker is to be knowledgeable about human-animal issues, including how animals are conceived of in the law and in society, but not necessarily take a position because our client is a human species, not an animal species. And so if there's someone that wants to raise awareness or raise the status of animals in this country, then their identity might be better as an animal welfare advocate. Social workers in the veterinary setting work to let go of biases about how animals should be treated and rather increase the human-to-human connections between people that may have very different views about how animals should be treated. Does that make sense at all?
0: Yep, that's a great answer.
1: Uh, And that's a really sticky wicket. A lot of times students will come to me and they'll say, I'll say, well, why are you interested in veterinary social work? And they say, well, because I love animals. Mm-hmm. And that, that's not necessarily a good candidate for my program, because if you love animals that much, are you going to be able to deal with it when you lose your own animal? Are you going to be able to deal with it when you have to let it, help a client let an animal go or deal with somebody who has abused animals? Can you treat that human being with the dignity and respect that you'd need to treat all of your social work clients if they've abused an animal? If you love animals that much, this might not be the right job for you. <laughs> Because we have to deal with the the human side of it, which is not always pretty. Sometimes it's beautiful, but sometimes it's really not at all.
0: Mm -hmm. So what makes you the most excited about going into work every day?
1: Oh, what a great question. I do not know why this is, but I have a heart for veterinarians. They're the most hardworking people I have ever been around.
0: Did you have any exposure to veterinarians no, growing up?
1: not really. I mean, I remember one time going to the veterinarian and he was trying to take a fecal example from my, from my kitty. And I was mm-hmm. putting my face up next to the kitty and the veterinarian scolded me because the cat, of course, could have scratched my eyes out, you know, but I didn't I was a kid. Oh. Mm-hmm. But I never really had much interactions with veterinarians. But when I got the opportunity to start the program, I just found them to be so wholesome and good hearted. And caring. And they taught me more about compassion, even though I'm a social worker, right? And we're all supposed to be about caring for people and being compassionate. A lot of times it just gets burnt out of you as a social worker. But I think in some ways, because veterinarians get to be around animals all the time, there's a way in which their compassion is highly, highly active. And so I feel I've come to be very protective of veterinarians. My colleagues all know that I have a bias to protect veterinarians. I'm a little bit like a mama bear. (laughs) So like one of the stressors I wanted to mention. So you asked me the question, what is what do I look forward to the most? I love working with veterinarians. I just like to learn from them. I like to talk with them about their patients. I like to help young veterinarians start to learn about self-care so that that passion that brought them into veterinary medicine can stay with them for their entire career. It's all very rewarding.
0: That's so great.
1: But one of the things I do get protective of is that clients many times are faced with very difficult, sad moments with their pets when their pet is very sick and they haven't saved up money, or maybe they've just never had the money to care for their pet. And many of those clients deal with that stress by saying to the veterinarian, if you really cared, you would take care of my pet. Oh. And so for a veterinarian who took the oath to end animal suffering, that really goes to their heart. Mm-hmm. And it's unlike human medicine, because in human medicine, there's there's health insurance and there's governmental processes in place to make sure that that everybody can get health care, but uh, not so for pets.
0: <laughs> I never thought of it that way.
1: Mm-hmm. It's very hard.
0: Yeah. What opportunities do you see in your field to c- contribute in the future? Like, what are you excited to be working on at the moment?
1: The thing I'm the most excited about is teaching how efficiently veterinarians and other and social workers and other health professionals can maintain resiliency by using their resources right. So being able to stay positive, being able to have short bursts of exercise, which we know is really good for keeping stress at bay, learning to meditate, having great conflict resolutions and communication skills. So, that people can feel great about their work instead of feeling overwhelmed, stressed, and sad. That gives me a lot of juice.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, every episode, whenever I talk to someone, I try to ask a question that sort of gives listeners something to think about, like ways that they can help. Yeah. I'm kind of having trouble nailing down a question to ask like that for you. So, I was wondering if there was something listeners could do from your perspective. Just to help out their animals or maybe, you know, help their veterinarians? Like, would you have any suggestions just to make the lives of others easier?
1: Yeah, I really do. I mean, I think that this last topic we talked about creates moral stress for veterinarians when they can't save every animal because of money. And so I think that one of the things that everybody could do is, A, start saving up for their own pet's health so that you can pay for it if your animal gets sick. Save up the money so that you can provide the care that your animal needs, and that's good for you, and it's also good for the veterinarian who doesn't have to be faced with that moral dilemma of uh, saving an animal at maybe the detriment to their own well-being. But another thing a person could do is could go to their local veterinarian and say, "I want to make a donation to the Good Samaritan Fund at this clinic, so that if there's a person that comes in and can't pay, that you have some money that." you can use to save a well-deserving pet. Oh,
0: that's a good idea.
1: So those are two things I would say that somebody could do right away Okay, that, that I think would enhance the quality of life of both pet owners and also veterinarians.
0: Is there a network that you're aware of where people might get access the types of services that you offer? I mean, for example, grief and bereavement uh, support groups. Are you aware of anything like that?
1: You know, we keep a resources page and we have some websites on there that are clearing houses for pet loss support lines across the country. Okay. I can give you my website address in a moment. Okay. And then we also have a listserv that we keep for the veterinary social work program. And we try to post information about jobs that might be applicable to this area, workshops that are coming up, trainings, and then discussion board kinds of stuff.
0: Okay. Well, that leads me to my next question. Where could we follow you and your project online?
1: You would go to vetsocialwork.utk.edu.
0: Okay.
1: We're also on Facebook.
0: Okay. How many pets do you have?
1: <laughs> I have two right now. Uh, I have two poodley types, one a big, a big poodley type and one a little, little poodley type. <laughs> but I have had four dogs before. That's a lot of dogs.
0: So you're more of a dog person than a cat person?
1: Uh, Yeah, I'm allergic to cats and horses, if you can believe it. Oh, okay. And someday I'll get a bird, though. (laughs) How about you?
0: Oh, I have two cats.
1: Oh, that's right. Two cats, yeah. Love cats. Yes, cats are great. Mm -hmm.
0: Is there anything I haven't asked that you would like to talk about?
1: No, I think that the thing that I really wanted to make sure got mentioned was the issue of moral stress in veterinarians and having resources to care for pets in need and their owners. So, thanks for letting me mention that.
0: Yeah, glad to do it. I think that was everything I wanted to cover.
1: Okay, great. Thanks, Josh.
0: All right. Thanks, Dr. Strand.
1: Okay, take care.
0: This is The Plural of You. I'm Josh Morgan, and the show's website is org. That's all for now. Thank you for being kind today. Take care.